This is Graham Lynch. Welcome to Comms Day Live. Now, this week, a uh, reasonably short episode as we, um, of course, the news cycle slowed down um, following the death of Queen Elizabeth II. Um, but there, there is a few. There are a few things to talk about. There was a ACAN conference on the Australian Consumer Action Network for Communications, um, and we'll take a listen to what a couple of speakers there had to say. But first up. I'm joined by the editor of Comms Day, Simon Ducks. Welcome, Simon. Hi there, Graham. Okay, well, you had a great story this week in Comms Day, um, uh, which, which, uh, to my mind, put a lot of the controversies around what we should be doing with regional telecommunications into some perspective. And that was um, the fact that two of our biggest telcos um, are very actively looking at providing satellite to mobile services, which, of course... If you think about it, it's pretty revolutionary. Tell us all about it, Simon. That's right, Graham. Uh, really interesting. We've been tracking this market quite closely. And uh, there's a company called AST Space Mobile, which uh, just put up its most recent uh, satellite, Blue Walker 3, which is its test satellite, to actually test its uh, satellite to mobile direct services. It went up last weekend on the SpaceX launch. And uh, we found out, of course, uh, talking with uh, Optus, that they have signed a MOU with uh, AST Space Mobile, and that potentially will lead them to being one of the early trialists. Uh, we also found out that AST has only three ground stations in uh, the world. Two of those are based in the US, and the other one's actually in Australia. So I'm uh, guessing that we're going to see these uh, services and the testing and the outcomes of these services a lot quicker uh, than a lot of other places. Now, obviously, it's one um, satellite. It's in LEO. Uh, it's a WAPA. It's uh, 64 metres uh, when it unfurls uh, its arrays. And uh, it essentially creates uh, from low Earth orbit uh, very similar to a, uh, the cells that you would have in a mobile network. Uh, so it's going to be uh, quite interesting as they uh, spend the next six months testing this. Obviously, with only one satellite up there, you're only going to be able to connect potentially for minutes uh, every 24 hours. But uh, the company has got big plans. Uh, they're looking to uh, put more than 100 commercial satellites, even larger than this uh, Blue Walker 3, which they're calling Bluebirds. And they reckon that they will be starting... Uh, they're launching by 2024. Uh, so as you mentioned, Telstra and Optus are both uh, have MOUs with this. Interesting, uh, uh, we haven't heard anything from TPG, but uh, Vodafone Group uh, uh, is also a partner as well. And uh, if you uh, look at uh, the services they're going to do, uh, and marry that across some of the recent announcements that we're seeing in uh, all of these uh, LEO uh, space-to-mobile services. We've just had T-Mobile and Starlink in the US um, announce a partnership. Uh, they'll be doing their uh, betas by the end of 2023 with text and messaging. Uh, at this stage, that agreement is only for the US. Uh, T-Mobile said uh, when they launched that, uh, announcement that they would be looking potentially to work with other operators around the world. Obviously, Starlink is here and available in Australia, so uh, something should happen on the back of that. And of course, uh, most recently, we had the Apple iPhone uh, direct connectivity via Global Star, um, so you can send emergency messages. And, uh, you know, if you look at that, you've got uh, Verizon have done a deal with Amazon Kuiper. You've got Link and Omnispace, two other startups that are playing in this space. 
uh, pardon the pun. And uh, if you uh, take all of that together, it's absolutely going to revolutionise some of these services and it's going to have major implications on uh, the, the policy environment, particularly in Australia. Yeah, that's a really good point there, Simon. Good observation because, <clears throat> I mean, we probably more than any other country in the world, Australia has this very elaborate system of cross-subsidies designed to prop up infrastructure in the regions. You know, and it leads to some sort of quite incongruous outcomes such as Tilstra paying the $7 a month broadband levy on every service to NBN to subsidise its fixed wireless and satellite services in the bush. And then conversely, NBN paying into the universal service levy, which funds Telstra to keep a copper network going in regional rural Australia. And then, of course, um, there are all the conniptions currently regarding whether or not TPG and Telstra should have a net share, network sharing pact in the regions in, in the, the 80 to 98th percentile of the population. And... Um, we had predictions this week in Comms Day from an analyst that no matter what happens there in terms of regulatory approval, that's going to end up in federal court. <laughs> in other words, if the ACCC approves the deal, then Optus will challenge it and take it to court. And conversely, um, if the regulator does not approve it, then Telstra and TPG may well exercise their legal options. So you've got, you've got this all this um, drama, for want of a better word, over what we're doing with terrestrial infrastructure in, in the bush. And maybe it's all going to become moot. Um, I mean, not only we're we talking about mobile phones connecting to satellites, which of course is the, the primary base, most required form of communication when you're out there, but you have Starlink in there offering um, multiples of 100 megabit type services through satellite, which is clearly superior to what NBN's offering right now. Um, and as the next generation of Starlink comes in and other Leo sats come in um, in the future, that service is just going to get better and better. So there, there's a definitely a public policy challenge here. Um, what do you think about that, Simon? Very much so, Graham. And uh, you've uh, raised a good point there about Starlink and its impact. And uh, obviously we have to look beyond the Leos as well. There's some amazing things happening in the medium uh, Earth orbit with uh, SES's O3BM power. And of course, even at geo level, you've got Viasat putting up its Viasat 3. Uh, obviously, Telstra's building out the ground stations there. So suddenly you're going to have, uh, from a policy point of view, uh, rural areas that have the potential for getting quite big uh, speeds, uh, 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 potentially, depending on how these services are rolled out. And uh, don't forget that MBN with Skymaster will be looking for what to do next after they're both put out of service around about 2030. So it's going to be quite a mix. And the other interesting and complicating factor, obviously, is what's going to happen on the spectrum front. Because, of course, when you're looking at all of these services, it's going to give ACMA a little bit of a headache because they can't be giving all of this spectrum to the mobile operators, given the fact that the satellite guys are going to be looking uh, uh, to have key bits of this spectrum. We're already seeing that kick off in the United States over 12 gigahertz with Starlink pushing back uh, at that level against uh, wireless broadband providers. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, actually. Most regulators around the world um, seem to think that, that they should reclaim as much spectrum as possible off satellites to give to the 5G 
operators and, and perhaps um, they're going to be on the wrong side of history. Let's see how we go there. Anyway, moving on. Um, as I mentioned at the top of this podcast, um, there was a big uh, uh, ACAN conference on this week where obviously consumer issues were to the fore. And uh, we've got a bit of audio from some speakers to play later, but I wanted to talk to you, Simon, uh, about a, a write-up um, that you did for Comms Day regarding the deputy chair of the ACCC, uh, Delia Ricard. Now, she, she, um, she's she been there for a really long time. Um, she became a commissioner in the middle of 2012. She actually should have retired by now, given she's done two lots of five-year terms, but they've delayed her her exit until January. So this is September. Uh, this, in some respects, might have been maybe the last major opportunity for her to give some thoughts on what's happening in the telecom sector. And boy, did she have a lot of thoughts. Tell us about it, Simon. That's right, Graeme. She didn't hold back at all, actually. Uh, one could say uh, both barrels blazing, uh, essentially. Uh, uh, a couple of things that we uh, picked up on, I'm sure, uh, raised a few eyebrows among the uh, telco community. Essentially, she suggested that telco industry codes are just not going far enough and the regulators uh, need more ability to ensure that the right players are in the market via some form of delicensing power. So obviously that that is uh, uh, quite a statement and uh, will potentially uh, have a bit of a backlash uh, coming from the sector on what that might even look like. But uh, uh, Delia was saying that uh, if you leave aside the provisions of Australian consumer law, which enable ACCC to take actions against misconduct by telcos, the bulk of consumer telco protections in the codes created by the industry are, are just not enough, essentially. She said, uh, while these codes may include many good protections, the incentives for compliance are missing. And then she used the example of uh, the ACMA when uh, they're actually uh, making a particular judgment. They have a two-step process, which means, you know, you may have a breach uh, and uh, then the uh, regulator issues a warning or a direction to comply. And it's only when there's a failure to comply that uh, something has actually happened with a, a sanction on the back of that. So uh, she mentioned the fact that a lot of these things were raised uh, with the previous government as part C of the Consumer Safeguard Review that uh, a lot of these issues were going to be dealt with, but obviously we had the election come in. So the regulator is now actually watching to see what's going to come out on the back of all of that. Now, uh, one of the other things uh, uh, that Delia also uh, uh, picked up on uh, was talking about unconscionable conduct. And she gave some examples of some small telcos uh, potentially uh, doing uh, selling practices that were using coercion and potentially uh, demanding payment for illegitimate termination. So uh, the interesting thing on the back of that was uh, that she pulled that right through to uh, Telstra as well and uh, also mentioned about the high-profile mis-selling case. And uh, she used these examples to essentially suggest that payments and commissions for sales is a surefire way to ensure mis-selling. And uh, she said, personally, if she had her way, she would ban them and uh, that uh, the industry would have far fewer problems. I mean, uh, where do we start with this? I mean, it's, it's, it's just extraordinary. And look, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, this is offensive or insulting. Because in some ways, that's just sort of playing the game uh, that perhaps is sought to be played here. And, and 
you know, to get a, a reaction. Um, but there's a few things that have to be said. I mean, for one thing, it's not as if the telecom industry has been a regulation-free zone for the last few years. It's been wave upon wave. I think the fact that we're talking about the safeguards is at part C stage. It gives you a, a little idea that there might have been a part A and a part B. Okay, so there's some evidence there's some direct evidence that we're not in a regulation-free zone. Um, the codes that comms alliance administers do get questioned every so often, you know, and and they they tend to be beefed up in reaction to that questioning. So there's been not as if there's been an absence of toing and froing on that front. Um, as far as sales commissions are concerned, the, the argument here is about some specific incidents that occurred. Um, in Telstra stores regarding Indigenous customers and where there was clearly a cultural mismatch. Now, no one's ever really got to the heart of talking about what really happened. But what it seems is that um, in some Indigenous communities, a lot of people might share one subscription. So if you have a quota or you you have variable pricing, if, if a whole lot of people are using the one service, that cost can balloon very quickly. And 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 that's apparently what happened there. It was, it, it was specific to a particular type of market with one operator and to extrapolate that into saying that the whole industry is uh, has a problem with crooks who need to be driven out and she actually did say that um is, is uh, to my mind a wild exaggeration of the, the actual situation telcos from what i can see how are generally incredibly responsible as companies they having have, if they didn't have them before, they definitely have pretty high-level ethical frameworks that they operate under these days. Um, it's, it is ridiculous not to give credit for that or to observe that. If, if you have not noticed that, then you're not looking. And that, that would be my response. And I'm, as far as I'm concerned, a competition regulator should be looking. And there is, a, as you just mentioned, Simon, a wide-ranging consumer law which deals with, which of course is economy-wide, but has some specific clauses for telecommunications. Recently in Commons Day, we wrote about the fact that uh, um, uh, an instrument has gone through Parliament to increase the penalties for violating that law fivefold. Okay, 400% more penalties now. Again, <laughs> we're not talking about something where the Wild West applies. <laughs> there are some quite punitive uh, laws in place. Now, the fact that those laws very rarely seem to be enforced is, is another matter. And is that a question? Does that mean that there are violations out there that aren't being enforced? Or perhaps there just isn't the egregious behaviour that's breaking the law. I'm not sure. That would be for people cleverer than me to deduce. I'd also point out that there's also a, an overall competition law in telecoms at the ACCC ministers. And I think, uh, I'm pretty sure it's over 15 years since the ACCC last found a violation of that. I, I stand corrected, but I'm pretty sure it was the middle of the first decade of the century was the last time the ACCC took action for a breach of competition law in this space. So is is there a problem overall? I, <laughs> I don't think so. And I think you might be hearing a little bit more from telcos on this. What do you think, Simon? That's right, Graham. Uh, you know, when you look at it, that was a really good summary, but you can argue that you don't necessarily need more regulation. You just need the right regulation. You know, you only have to look at what's going on with the SAU at the moment uh, and uh, some of the other ones that you've also highlighted. 
if they can get some of these things right, when you look at a particular market, judging on significant market power and so on, getting those things right are the things that are actually going to make a tangible difference in the telco sector. And uh, uh, to be fair to uh, Delia's, uh, what she termed the good, the bad and the ugly, uh, she also highlighted, uh, uh, to finish off, uh, how uh, the telco industry has come together to deal on uh, scams and scam calls. And uh, now the ACCC has seen 50% reduction in uh, phone scam reports and uh, around a billion calls have now been blocked. Now, uh, of course, it was a tiny bit of a double-edged sword because uh, she did point out that she thought the industry only moved when uh, the communications minister called for regulation. But uh, uh, what she was trying to emphasise was the fact that banks, telcos, all platforms and crypto exchanges really need to work together to play their part on this. But, you know, uh, as you've uh, very well pointed out, you've just got to get this regulatory mix right. But if you start over-regulating, then you start burdening the industry with extra costs and you're not necessarily going to get the best outcomes for consumers uh, by doing so. And, and indeed, that's a, 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 a very timely point you've made there, Simon, because um, any day now, um, we're going to move into an environment where the consumer data right is being legislated for telecommunications. The, in fact, the draft amendments are out now um, for it. And, uh, you know, the, the, as, as I say, it's just it's just simply wrong to suggest that the Wild West is going on out there. It's it's anything but. And um, yeah, just, just a couple, couple more points points I make there if if there was this sort of egregious activity occurring in the telecommunications sector presumably you'd be seeing these wild runaway profits well I don't see them <laughs> I, I see I see co companies with um, declining revenues and declining profits for the most part unless they're challenger telcos who are starting from a low base and building a market share but you know what it's um it, it, this is this is um uh not an industry that uh, could be compared, say, with cryptocurrency or, or maybe the places that the ACCC should be looking at if it wants to look at things that um, <laughs> are disadvantaging consumers and, and innocent buyers of of, uh, of products and services. Um, one more thing I'd, I'd point out there, the, the, the thing about sales commissions, look, look, I understand where she's coming from. On, on that. I do understand it. The point hasn't gone over my head. We, we're human beings and we can't deny our humanity. One of the things about humanity is that we respond to incentives. Okay. So if you tell salespeople you're not getting an incentive for being good at your job, well, then they have an incentive not to be very good at their job, to work to rule. And that's the sort of person who might not help an old lady when she comes in the shop wanting some advice on her next mobile phone. Yeah, that, that might be someone who doesn't look for the best deal for a customer because they want to earn their loyalty for the next few years and earn an ongoing trailing commission. I mean, th these things have effects. And if you, if you take the logic through to its fullest extent, then, you know, why don't we ban tipping waiters? I mean, after all, you're incentivizing them to top up your wine every 20 minutes, aren't you? And we couldn't have that. Anyway, Simon, thank you very much for joining us today. Good to see you again, Graham. Well, moving on, um, as we've discussed, uh, this week the Australian 
Communications Consumer Action Network, ACAN, held its annual conference. Um, well done to Andy Williams and the team there who put together a, a really good show, good good representation of um, representatives of, of different parts of um, the consumer world as well as the telcos and the various government bodies. Um, and uh, a really one really interesting presentation was a, a, a chat that uh, Andy had with Vicky Brady, the new CEO of Telstra. And uh, he asked some pretty good questions. So, uh, one which jumped out at me and to which Vicky gave a great answer was, uh, what, what's your 100-day plan as the new CEO? This is what she had to say. Look, the first thing I'd say, you're right, Andrew. Um, it was great to have a really extended transition period, so five months with Andy before I stepped into the role on 1st of September. And the thing I would say is it's a good foundation to be building from. So as many people may be aware, Telstra went through an extensive transformation, a four-year program called T22, and that did involve making some pretty significant changes to make things better, particularly for our consumer and small business customers. So, you know, 1,800 plans down to 20. Uh, that's made a massive difference in making things simpler. So good foundations where I'm really focused um, in the first 100 days. So I would start with, there's no doubt the way our customers interact with us. So we did bring our call centres recently back on shore. So all calls answered in Australia for consumer and small business customers. We did buy back all of our retail stores as well. So I see a great opportunity. How we really leverage a very integrated and seamless experience for our customers, whichever way they choose to interact. It might be through digital, might be over the phone, might be in store, might be via chat. Um, so we've got a great ability, I think, to keep transforming and changing that experience. And certainly for me, number one priority, we've got our T25 strategy and inside that it is about the customer. So there's great opportunities uh, there. I think the other thing that's really on my mind as well at the moment is I'm very conscious people are feeling the effects of cost of living and the pressures that that's putting on them. And so making sure people are really clear and aware of the choice they have when they're with us as Telstra so we don't have locking contracts. That ability to move um, to suit your situation and we also do uh, have a multi-brand portfolio as well. So lots of choices for our customers to make sure through a period where many are starting to feel the effects of that, um, that we're really, we're really um, at the forefront of supporting that. And probably the third one, it's such a topic at the moment, but is just this increasing threat of scams and cyber security threats. So we're doing a lot in that space, but you can never be complacent and keeping it front of mind um, for our customers because absolutely there are things we can all be doing um, to keep ourselves um, more safe and secure. So that would be another one we're focused on, Andrew. Okay. And uh, another um, interesting session at the event came from Sarah Henderson, who's the new Shadow Minister for Communications. Um, she hasn't been in the job for it long and, and for various reasons, there haven't been many opportunities for her to speak at telecom audiences uh, on the record. Um, so this, this is pretty much her first one. And um, she gave a, a, pr a pretty good wrap up of, of where the coalition sits on communications policy, um, obviously defending their 
their previous record. And she also talked about some of the issues that she's going to prioritise in the new parliament. Look, I just want to firstly say I'm extremely proud of the Coalition's achievements when in government and the work we did to help drive the transformation of the digital economy uh, to connect all Australians across our vast land. Uh, when we were elected in 2013, there was no funding for mobile phone base stations uh, under the previous government and only 51,000 homes had been connected to the MBN. Uh, we turned all of that on its head, of course, funding more than 1,200 new or upgraded mobile base stations, rolling out the MBN to 12 million premises so that now over 99% of Australians can order an MBN service. In recent years, we drove very substantial investments, of course, in partnership with the MBN uh, in high-speed broadband, including a $4.5 billion network investment plan that will give up to 75% of fixed line premises across regional and metropolitan Australia access to ultra-fast broadband, fibre on demand speeds of up to one gigabit per second by 2023. There's the, the 284 business fibre zones, uh, which of course delivered major cuts in wholesale pricing for businesses outside major cities, and our most recent announcement with the MBN, a $480 million investment in faster fixed wireless and satellite connectivity in regional Australia, which was the work of the coalition and not the current government, as Minister Rowland appeared to be suggesting in her speech. So just uh, giving credit where credit is due. So not only does this invest, this reflect a massive investment in upgraded broadband technology. The coalition's fibre on demand model, which has now been accepted by the government, uh, of course, demonstrates that the government's previous policy of fibre to every premise um, has been uh, abandoned. Um, that would have driven up the cost of broadband very dramatically, delivering fixed wireless to every premise, including those who didn't want it. And of course, also gravely disadvantaged regional communities. So we think we got the balance right. Of course, Australians have benefited and continue to benefit from many other very significant investments delivered by the coalition. Uh, I'll briefly touch on them. The mobile black spot program, of course, large scale investments in regional connectivity, such as the regional connectivity program, the pump program, um, the strengthening telecommunications against natural disasters program, and the regional tech hub. We've also done an enormous amount of work to rein in the power and sometimes the abuse of power of the big tech platforms with the world's first e-safety commissioner, um, the basic online safety expectations, the new Online Safety Act, which extends the e-safety commissioner's powers to combat serious cyber abuse, cyber abuse against adults. The News Media Bargaining Code is another example of the way that we have stood up for the Australian media sector, reining in other big global giants who were previously ripping off Australian news media content, the likes of Google and Facebook and not paying for it. So that code has now um, completely turned that on its head. Of course, I also want to acknowledge the important work of our regulators, such as ACMA and the ACCC, which were very active under our leadership. And of course, the ACMA in particular received new powers, combating scams and holding the telcos to 
into account when they sought to actively mislead or deceive, including by engaging in false selling practices to the vulnerable and in Indigenous communities, which of course was disgraceful conduct. Fines of $50 million are a potent reminder to Telstra and Optus and others that Australians will not tolerate this type of behaviour. Uh, but there is a lot more work to be, done, to be done, of course, which is why I have called on the government to deliver improved online privacy laws, enacting our online privacy bill to protect the best interests of children and to ensure that the likes of TikTok can't harvest data, track the location of users or engage in any other insidious practices. We also introduced the social media anti-trolling bill uh, and we are disappointed that the government has not shown any interest in unmasking the trolls, uh, which have caused a considerable harm to so many Australians. So we would certainly like to see some big progress in that regard. I'm also concerned that scams which have spread to platforms like WhatsApp are not being dealt with because the government has not given ACMA the regulatory powers to do so, and that also needs to change. That's Sarah Henderson, the Shadow Communications Minister, in her first major industry presentation to the telco sector since she um, took the position. And she was speaking at the ACANET conference. Now, that's it for Comms Day Live this week. Um, we're going to take a break next week. We usually come out um, at the end of the week, and it's effectively a long weekend. I know, I know, on Friday you're supposed to come to work in Sydney, but who's really going to? So we'll be back um the following week. Thanks for joining us and see you next time.